That is a letter, correspondence from missionary Bruce Tuttle, who continues to serve in Ukraine, and uh, one that keeps us mindful to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are there in Ukraine. Next Sunday evening, our supported missionary Sam Slobodian will be with us. He's currently in the Ukraine, but Lord willing, will make it safely home to the States and will be reporting to us and all that's happening there among the churches and the believers there. I am his and he is mine. Thank you, Gary, for reminding us of that. I would invite you to turn with me in your copy of the New Testament to Colossians chapter three, verses one through four, as was read just a moment ago by Dr. Matt Schrader. Colossians three, verses one through four. It is natural and it is normal for a living being to respond to what it perceives through its senses. For example, if one of our ushers were to pull the fire alarm just now and turn off the lights, all of you that are still awake, alive, would respond by rushing for the doors. That would be a natural and normal thing to do. If you were driving down the road and a harmless, helpless little gray squirrel were to run across the street in front of you, you would react by hitting your brakes and swerving. At least most of you would do that. (laughs) I remember a number of years ago when my son Micah was young, he had a small plastic toy hammer that he was playing with and I got the bright idea to make his leg jerk by knocking his knee with that toy hammer. And so I set Micah up on a chair and I started banging on his knee with a little plastic toy hammer. He said, ow, daddy, ow, that hurts. Daddy, stop. I said, no, 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 I'm trying to do something here, right? <laughs> and, and I continued to bang on his knee and I finally got it to work. It's, it's all about the angle in which you strike the knee, right? Obviously, that's why doctors go to school to learn just how to strike the knee. But, uh, and his leg jerked in response. And what I would suggest this morning is that human response Human reaction is an evidence of human life. Spiritual response is an evidence of spiritual life. And here in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul commands us to respond because of the resurrected life that we have in Jesus Christ. And so from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, I've prepared a message titled, Respond to Your Risen Life. Let me pause for prayer and then we'll look at the scripture together. God in heaven, thank you so much for making us yours. Thank you so much for loving us and caring for us in every context of life. Lord, we do think of our brothers and sisters in Christ, the churches in the Ukraine and other places around the world. We thank you for your care of them. Lord, we think of your care of us, and we're so grateful for that. God, as we come to the scripture now, I pray that your spirit would teach us and convict us. Lord, may we live like we live. May we live like we're alive. May we respond to our resurrected life in Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray, amen. In many of his letters to the churches, the Apostle Paul committed the first part of those letters to doctrine, and the second part 
to practical application based on that doctrine. And such is the case with his letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapters 1 and 2 are rich in theology, specifically Christology, the doctrine of Christ. However, if theology is left to itself, it becomes dead orthodoxy. So Paul gives practical application now in chapters 3 and 4. And and we love application, but application left to itself becomes misguided religiosity. So we need both theology or doctrine and we need application. We ought not only to declare and defend the truth, but we need to also demonstrate the truth in our lives and that's the format of the Apostle Paul's epistles. Our text this morning, chapter three, Colossians three verses one through four, bridges that gap, that span between the orthodoxy of chapters one and two and the orthopraxy of chapters three and four. And by the way, I might just mention that the doctrine is the easy part. Doctrine is the easy part in chapters one and two. It's now application that's hard. Colossians three, verse number one, if then you were raised with Christ, you can stop there. If you were raised with Christ, number one, our resurrection is with Christ. Our resurrection is with Christ. And if we were to eliminate the chapter and verse divisions and consider the flow of Paul's writing, we would actually begin back in chapter two, verse 20. Chapter two, verse 20, look there. It says, therefore, if you died with Christ, we can then read on to chapter three, verse one, without a break, if then you were raised with Christ. We died with Christ, chapter two, verse 20. We were raised with Christ, chapter three, verse one. And so Paul is positionally identifying us with the death, two, verse 20, and the resurrection, three, verse one, of Jesus Christ. And our English Bibles say, if in both of those cases. However, when Paul wrote this, he used the grammatical construction called the first class conditional meaning that he is assuming the truth of these statements for the sake of his argument. He's literally saying in chapter two, verse 20, since you died, chapter two, verse 20, and he is literally saying in chapter three, verse one, since you were raised. If you carry the NIV, it captures this meaning well, using the word since in both of those cases. Since you participated in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, since you are now spiritually alive, then respond, respond to your risen life. Now, we can be sure of what Paul is saying here uh, by backing up even further into the, the previous context. And, and any time you study the scripture, you, you need to study the context. Context is king. Look back to chapter two, verse 12 and 13. Chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead, he continues there in verse 13, he has made alive together with him. So Paul is teaching us that we have positionally died and have now been raised with Jesus Christ. But this teaching is not unique to the book of Colossians. Paul also wrote the same thing to the Romans. Listen to Romans chapter six. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And this is not water baptism. I believe this is spirit baptism that Paul is describing. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
So folks, it is safe for us to say that our resurrection is with Christ, and I think it's fitting for us to reflect on this very thing the week after Easter, after Resurrection Sunday. So in Colossians 3, Paul is making the transition from his doctrinal teaching in chapters 1 and 2 to his practical application now in chapters 3 and 4, and he is saying, because you are co-resurrected with Christ, because you have been made spiritually alive, respond, act like you are living because you are living, you are alive. And as chapters three and four unfold, Paul will describe what this living response looks like for us, beginning with number two, our responsibility. Our responsibility is to seek Christ. Since we've been raised with Christ, we have a responsibility and that is to respond. There, there are specifically two responsibilities or two responses that should be normative in our lives. Look at verse one again. If then or since then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Letter A, seek those things above. Now, in the Greek language, the verb there in verse one, the verb seek, it means to seek. And when we lose something, we hunt for that, we seek for that until it is found. When there is something to be gained, we pursue that thing until it is claimed. That is a normal response. Paul says it's our responsibility. So I would ask us this morning what what we might be seeking, what we might be pursuing. It, It may be peace. You say, if I could only just have some peace in my life. Or comfort. Maybe you're looking for a relationship or pursuing a promotion. If you're an athlete, you are looking for that title or that trophy or that medal. In politics, it's re-election. In business, it's success and growth. In education, it's a degree. In America, we all seek for material things of this earth. It was John Piper who once said, there will be no people in heaven who want their things more than Jesus. And so the object of our pursuit ought not to be our things, but the above things, specifically the things above where Christ is. Verse number one says, and the greatest object of our pursuit should be Jesus Christ. That was Paul's pursuit, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection because he's risen, and I'm risen with him. Secondly, our responsibility to this is to, to let her be set your mind on things above. So we th- seek those things above where Christ is. We set our minds on things above. Your Bible might re- read, set your affections on things above, is how the King James Version renders that. However, this is not a fuzzy, emotional sentiment. It is a mental and a volitional commitment So it's been said, you must not only seek heaven, but you must also think heaven. If your mind is set on the risen Christ, you have the right mindset. And whereas the the first command there, seek, I think it describes an outward activity or action. The the second command, set your mind, is, is an inward activity or an action. And I would ask you this morning, if you are mentally consumed and controlled by the risen Christ? Is your thinking anchored 
to Christ. You say, well, Pastor Matt, that, that sounds like some bizarre mind control. Yes, that's exactly what it is. It is mind control. Is your mind controlled by thoughts of the risen Christ? I, I did a little research this week and I learned that mind control or brainwashing, all right, it has a more sophisticated clinical term these days, and that is coercive persuasion. And I read that the, the goal of mind control or brainwashing or coercive persuasion is the ability to control one's responses so that when given a stimuli, a person will repeatedly respond in a certain way. We're familiar with Pavlov's dog. You're familiar with Pavlov's dog. The, the dog was conditioned to salivate upon hearing the sound of the bell. And in a very real sense, Paul wants us to be mentally controlled, mind-controlled by our thinking on the risen Christ, for we have been co-resurrected with him. It's the commentator F.F. F. Bruce who, who summed it up this way, since his people share his risen life positionally, their interests are now centered in him. His interests have in fact become theirs. They must therefore pursue those things which belong to the heavenly realm where he reigns. Their mind, their attitude, their ambition, their whole outlook must be characterized by their living bond with the ascended Christ. Folks, call it brainwashing if you will. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Call it mind control if you will, but Philippians calls us to have the mind of Christ. Ephesians 4.23 commands us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Now, in your outline, both letters A and B are durative, present imperatives, which means they are demanding continuous action. Keep on seeking. Keep on setting your mind on Christ. Because of our co-resurrection with Christ, we must repeatedly respond as a living being would respond. And when your knee is struck by a hammer, by a doctor's hammer, (laughs) your leg ought to jerk. And no matter how many times your knee is struck by that hammer, your leg ought to keep jerking and keep jerking. If it doesn't, something's not right. Something's wrong. You may be dead. (laughs) Keep on seeking. Keep on setting your mind. That's your responsibility, okay? How can we do this practically, accomplish this practically? That's number three. Our resources are found in Christ. And and I'm gonna point you again to verse number one. Not to belabor verse number one, but it's so important. If then, or since then, is how we're translating it this morning. Since you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting where? At the right hand of God. The right hand of God. Our resources are found in Christ. The Bible often speaks of Christ's exalted position at God's right hand. Listen uh, as I quickly identify some of these places where the, the Bible speaks of God's right hand. Psalm 110 verse one, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Jesus told his accusers at his trial that from now on the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. In his sermon on the day of Pentecost, Paul told the, I'm sorry, Peter told the crowd that Jesus had been exalted to the right hand of God. That's Acts 2. 
Peter and the other apostles described Jesus to the Sanhedrin as the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior, Acts 5. As he was being martyred, Stephen cried out, Behold, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Paul described Jesus as he who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us, Romans 8. Because God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 1. Hebrews 8 verse 1 says that we have a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And so there is something special about Jesus' placement at the right hand of God. There at Jesus' right hand, symbolically, It provides support, Psalm 18. It provides victory, Psalm 118. It provides direction and protection from God, Psalm 139. It is an important place of honor, 1 Kings 2, Psalm 45. It is the place of power, Daniel 7, Psalm 110. It is the place of Christ's priestly function as our intercessor, Romans 8, verse 34. It is the place of co-regency, Ephesians 1 and 1 Peter. Ultimately, God's right hand is not just a place, but it is a person, Jesus Christ and there at God's right hand where Jesus Christ is is a place of power in Christ are all of the resources that we need Colossians 2 verse number 3 for Christ is all in all Colossians 3 verse number 11 because Jesus Christ is risen. He's resurrected from the grave. He's ascended to his father's right hand and all of the resources we need are sourced there in him. And that has been the point of Paul's letter for all of these weeks of our reading and studying in the face of Gnosticism and legalism and mysticism and asceticism and all of the other isms that Paul has been confronting in this letter. He declares Christ to be all in all. He's all we need. In fact, last week or maybe two weeks ago now, if you were here, we were reminded that Christ is our God. All of these references are from the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter one and and two here. Christ is our God. He is our creator. He is our head. He is our savior. He died for us. He's forgiven us. He's made us alive. He dwells in us. He's completed us. This is all Colossians one and two. All of this Christology, this doctrine of, of Christ, and we can't even make it to the very first verse of chapter three where Paul does it again. And he says, Christ is risen He's seated at God's right hand. He is our resource because we've been raised with Christ. So when you're tempted to complain that you feel powerless in your Christian life, that you lack the empowerment or the enablement, then I say fooey on you. You know why? Because you're denying the reality that Jesus Christ is risen and you've been raised with him. And I would point you back to that Christology, the reason that we can, res- we can um, respond is now number four, because of Christ. The resources in Christ and the reason is because of, of Christ. You might want to even modify number four. Our reason is because of the risen Christ. You might qualify that. That's the point, the big idea in this text. Verses three and four, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also will appear with him in glory. A couple subpoints here. Our life is hidden with Christ. What, what does it mean to be hidden 
with Christ. Uh, a couple things. First, our, our position with Christ is secure. It, it doesn't change. And unlike perhaps a ball game where the coach might ask you to play a different position or put you on the bench, unlike your company where you may be transferred to another, another department or maybe given another title or maybe fired, your position with Christ is secure It's final, it's permanent. And those who have eternal life, they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my Father's hand. Jesus said, we are hidden, we are secure. Romans 8 assures us that no one can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But but it's not only a matter of security, this hidden, our life is hidden with Christ. There's a security, but I I think there's also a degree in in which it's, it's secretive. And through no, no fault of our own, but, but it's the, the natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness under, to him, neither can he understand them. And so unbelievers are unable to grasp the profoundness of the believer's new life. We are hidden or concealed in Christ. And that is confusing, perhaps, to the natural mind or to the unbeliever. Our life is hidden with Christ. Not only is our life hidden with Christ, but our life is Christ. It, in fact, is Christ. Christ does not merely give life. He is life. And Paul said, positionally, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20. To the Philippians, he said, practically, for me to live is Christ. And if you need a a reason to respond, it is because of Christ, the risen Christ, and the new life you have in him. Look at verse four again. When Christ, who is our life, appears. So lest there's any confusion about this. When Christ, who is our life, appears one day. We reflected on that this morning, even in our song service When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Can I offer you this, number four? Our revelation will be with Christ. And the world may not recognize those whose lives are hidden with Christ and God, but that will not always be the case. When Christ appears, we will appear with him. And this may refer to the rapture, at at which time Christ comes to catch his bride, the, the, the church, away 1 John 3, verse 2, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. I I think this also refers maybe more specifically to Christ's second coming, not to be confused, the rapture of the church and then his second coming when we will be revealed with him. In fact, I would cite Revelation 19. The apostle John says, now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat upon it was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Of course, that's Jesus Christ. His eyes were a flame of fire and upon his head were many crowns. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name was called the word of God. And on his robe and on his thigh was a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a description of Jesus' return in judgment. And then John writes, and I don't have it for you there on the screen, but verse number 14, John writes that we will 
accompany him, that Jesus will be accompanied by the saints, the armies which are in heaven, clothed with fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. And on that day, we will be revealed with Christ. One Bible commentator, J.B. Lightfoot, he says this, the veil which now shrouds your higher life from others and even partly from ourselves. We don't see clearly just yet. That will be withdrawn. The world which persecutes, despises, ignores now will then be blinded with the dazzling glory of that revelation. The fact of the matter is is this, folks. If you have participated by faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have new life. We call it born again. We've been born again, and since you have been raised with Christ, it is normal, it is natural to respond to that life. We ought to seek the things of Christ. We ought to set our minds on the things of Christ. And we ought to react to that truth in such a way. We ought to respond to that truth in such a way that the world can look at us and know that we are different because we are raised with Christ. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, I pray that you would help us to to fully understand and appreciate these truths. God, we thank you for your death and resurrection. We thank you that by faith, if we call on the name of the Lord, we too can be born again and we can positionally identify in Christ's death and resurrection. But Lord, then practically, our responsibility is to respond. May we look and act like we're alive, for we are. And Lord, when we struggle in this flesh, in this world, God, may we be mindful that we are complete in thee. May we race back to the truths of our Christology, knowing that that we have all things in Christ. And we'll trust you for the victory in this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.